Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Welcome back to another insightful episode of the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you courtesy of the Black Doctor Collective Podcast, where I coach early career physicians into getting what they want at work. If you're interested in the coaching program, please do not hesitate to reach out to me via email at theblockdoctor at gmail.com. Hey folks, hey, today's episode, we're diving deep into the world of negotiation, but here's the twist. We're not just talking about the traditional salary and contract negotiations. We're discussing how negotiation extends into your daily life, work, and the changes you want to see. Remember, it's not a matter of if these things are negotiable, but how you're going to negotiate them. So we are all aware of salary gaps based on gender and race. And yes, there's a significant systemic component that must be addressed. We know there are barriers to moving up and having our efforts recognized when we don't look like the people who are in charge, namely white and male. And we know from history that people tend to support those who are a mirror image of them. How much do we hear the use of the phrase, you remind me of myself when I was younger, from people who have taken an interest in us? And this is generally meant complimentary, but can be problematic if you are the first and only in a work environment, because who are you reminding them of? In my upcoming podcast interview with an ER doc, Dr. Kim, who's a friend of mine. She talks about being the only Black woman in her residency class. But because she was automatically included in the group dynamics, she benefited from the business and advancement advice that was given to the white male residents around her. And I wondered during this interview, out loud, of course, whether the white male attendings were truly mentoring her or the class as a whole, which reflected images of themselves. Either way, she benefited, which is great for her, but I would love to wonder what happens when that isn't the case, when you're not invited or included. I hear a lot of docs talk about not having friends at work, how people at work are not your friends, they have friends at home. I totally get that sentiment because, you know, sometimes these hoes ain't loyal, okay? Um, But what about when all the tea, the advice, the nutrients, you need to excel or pivot in your career, all the nuggets are exchanged after work or in these little informal sessions outside the hospital. So in this case, no new friends is to your detriment. It would be nice if everyone had access to all the tips and the tools that they needed for advancement, but we know that life ain't fair. And what about if you're a parent, especially a mom, because we know women 
take on the bulk of the household responsibilities, even if they are equal or greater earners. If you're a mom, if you're a parent who needs to start second shift, i.e. parenthood after work, and can't always be part of these after hour sessions, how do you then benefit? There are many external barriers that can keep us from progressing linearly in our career. But there's another piece to it, and that is the frequency in which people of color and women ask for what they want at work. If you hear that phrase, I tell, I say this is what I offer in my coaching program, how to ask for what you want at work. It's a difference between external and internal barriers. Do we tackle the system or ourselves or both? I want to focus on internal barriers, one, because it's something you can immediately control, and two, because it can help shift the external barriers as well. First, I highlight the things that you can you can and cannot control. You cannot always control the circumstance. Certainly not other people, their thoughts, their actions. You can control you, your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, and therefore your results. In the book, Negotiating at Work, which is a book written by women for women, that contains advice on how to negotiate, they report data that says that, quote, women are less likely than men to ask, to initiate negotiations, to be positively disposed towards negotiation. They are less confident. They are more likely to set lower goals. When it comes to compensation, the focus of most of the research Women expect to receive less in compensation than men expect, right? So it's an expectation. They feel less entitled to higher salaries than men do. They place less value on pay than other aspects of their job. These feelings translate into behavior that affects outcome. Women demand and accept less in salary negotiations than men do, are less confident and less satisfied with their negotiation performances, and feel lower self-efficacy about their bargaining abilities, end quote. If you haven't heard me say it before, I want to emphasize how thoughts and feelings directly impact your actions and therefore your results. When I speak about things you can control, this is exactly what I mean. If you believe that you will not earn as much as your male counterpart, or you convince yourself that salary just isn't as important as other parts of your employment contract, you will not feel confident or certain about asking or about how much to even ask for. If you believe that rich people are greedy, I do a money episode where I talk about money mindset, and this is why. If you believe the rich people are greedy or asking for more money is greedy, you will feel guilty and have cognitive dissonance every time you try to negotiate or even think about negotiating because realistically, you won't even try. You'll just be sitting and thinking about it. Everything up until this point in the negotiation process is all controlled by your mind. What to ask for, whether or not you'll ask, all of those things, internal. Here's how 
beliefs and thought patterns affect action. You are less likely to confidently converse about your desires or you will not ask at all, i.e. no actions are taken because of a belief, because of how you feel about money, because of how you feel about compensation being important or not, or because you believe that you are not make as much as someone else. All of these are beliefs. They're completely internal, but you believe that, which means that in an action, you won't take any action, right? Or you'll ask for less. You'll ask for even less than you provide value for, right? There's not a direct correlation between what you're estimating you can get and what your true value to that organization is. So your action is no action or limited action. And what is the result? You will not get paid more. This is called a belief flow, where you look at your belief, which is that rich people are greedy. You will look at your thoughts, which is if I ask for more money, I am greedy, which translates to your actions, which is I will not ask for more money, which translates to your result, which is I do not get paid what my counterparts get paid or what is equivalent to the value I provide at work. This belief flow is a tool I learned from my business coach, Dr. Kimmy, who will be on the podcast actually in a few weeks with not one, but two episodes. You will not want to miss those. But why I focus on internal conversations is because you have the potential to change your result. There are multitudes of studies that show you have the potential to lose hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars because you do not or did not negotiate. There are longitudinal studies that show that people who who accept even just their base annual raise every year without asking for additional money, end up making over a million dollars less than their counterparts who negotiate every time that they come to the table. I'm going to read an example from the book called Ask For It. It's uh, written by Linda Babcock and Sarah Leshevere. I'm sure I'm butchering their names, but it's about how women can use the power of negotiation to get what they really want. Okay. Get what you really want. The theme. I'm focusing on women because there's a lot of ways that people of color in general and women kind of operate in the same way. And also because it's really hard to find a book that captures the full essence of our identities, either just as people of color or women of color who are also Black, Black people, like (laughs) there's so much overlap. But anyway, in this book, they give a good example of the math because you know I wasn't trying to do no calculations, y'all. Okay, so... Here's their example about how you make less money when you don't ask. Quote, at 30, having just completed your MBA, you and a male peer receive job offers for $100,000. You take the $100,000, that's a lot of money after all, but the man negotiates and gets his offer raised to $115,000, okay? So, At the start of this job, if you're following the math, he's now making $15,000 a year more than you are. You both average 3% raises every year. He invests his extra money in an account earning 3%. So 
he's making more every year, plus he's putting it into a savings account that gives him a 3% return. So whatever he's earning just from that initial baseline salary, so that $15,000 extra, he's earning his 3% on top of that. By the time you reach 65, he's saved $1,519,486, basically over $1.5 million more than you have. That's if you start at age 30 and end at age 65. So in 35 years, he has earned $1.5 million because he chose to negotiate for $15,000 more than you at baseline and then take that money and put it in an interest account of 3%. Mind you, there are interest accounts that are 5%. So imagine this money adds up $1.5 million. Hmm, okay. So if you just negotiate your initial salary or your annual salary, whichever point, year after year, there just becomes an exponential increase in how much more money you can make than if you never negotiated. Even if you never negotiate again. I'm going to tell you a story that I've told before on this podcast because it's just a perfect example about what I'm talking about. And it was the quickest example. I coached someone through negotiation for salary. And I use her example specifically because I coach negotiation. So salary comes up all the time. But in this case, this was someone I was able to do this in two sessions with. She knew she was underpaid. She knew that her white male counterparts who started either at the same time as her or slightly after her were making more money. She knew that they had asked for a raise outside of the typical annual review and gotten it. These are important things to know. What someone has asked for and what they were given, okay? But she was afraid to do the same. She wanted it. She desired that result, but her internal mindset was keeping her from even asking for scheduling the meeting. Why I focus on internal work? Because we were able to tackle exactly what belief was contributing to her inaction. Once we did the internal work, tackling her beliefs, her thoughts, and allowing space for that feeling of discomfort just to be there. We're not trying to solve it. What emotion do you have to allow to be there? She was able to go forward scheduling a meeting, negotiating for a raise, and ended up making $150,000 extra. There are multiple reasons why this number is so significant. Besides the fact that the fact that it's more than most people even make in a year, is that it wasn't even the number she was initially going for. She was planning to go in with an ask of $100,000. So this goes right back to that portion of the book I read, which says that women ask for less 
They underestimate how much they should ask for. They are not asking at all. They are less confident. They set lower goals. They feel less entitled. They expect less than men expect. So that was a direct example of all of these. She's literally the the person this book is describing. She's literally the person I aim to help. Her other thing was that she was the type of negotiator we call the compromiser. So there's different negotiation styles. And the one that I find a lot of people fall into is the compromiser, which means that you go in with a number you think is high, which in the case of people of color and women is already undercutting yourself and is already a lower goal than maybe your white male counterparts. So you come in with a number and you expect them to come in with a lower number and then you're going to meet in the middle and compromise, right? Studies show that people who use the compromise type of negotiation technique, tactic, whatever, end up with lower even still than they want or they desire. It is not an effective technique for negotiation. So if that's something you heard about, learned on TV, or assume that that's how negotiation goes, we are trying to eliminate that notion. We do not do compromiser tactics. Okay, so she wanted to meet in the middle, assuming that they would automatically offer her less. Her belief underlying was that it was greedy or ungrateful to ask for more money. And it led her to thoughts that even though she deserved more and she was providing good value at work, she didn't ask for more which was leading to feelings of discomfort, guilt, and uncertainty, right? She was uncomfortable with asking, but she was also uncomfortable being underpaid. She was also feeling undervalued because no one had recognized her work, had acknowledged her work. So to me, do you choose the short-term discomfort of moving into a negotiation or the long-time discomfort and worst case scenario, which is the one you're already in, I say choose the former, not the latter. Why would you choose long-term discomfort, getting unpaid for more years, the potential of missing out on millions of dollars because you cannot overcome the short-term discomfort of having an interaction with someone? So the end result was for her was that she was working without making more money. As a Black physician, you are not likely to be asked. You are not likely to be recognized for promotion or salary increases automatically. You cannot control whether someone sees the work you're doing, even if you think you're bringing your A-game to work. There is no evidence that top quality work automatically means a raise. It is more important for women, for people of color, and for people who meet both of those descriptions, black women of color, black women of color, black women, to ask for a raise. The next point I want to bring up is that we don't always recognize situations in which negotiation is possible, but we are required to negotiate on an ongoing basis. 
We talk about work schedules, leadership opportunities, patient loads. These are all examples of areas where we negotiate. When conditions change at work, are you negotiating to make sure it's a good fit for you? Or are you accepting that as the new status quo, even if it doesn't work for you or it's not even what you signed up for? Generally, when people think about negotiation, they only consider formal discussions around employment. Formal discussions where two parties who both know they're negotiating sit at a table and come to an agreement. Even then, when you know both parties are coming to the table, people don't negotiate or they try to compromise. They meet in the middle or they decide they can only negotiate on one important issue. And before asking, they decide what that issue is going to be. They will either get the hours they want or the professional development support because they don't plan to go to bat for a salary or they plan to go to bat for salary so they don't hammer out work hours, professional development, et cetera. Rather than ask for all of it and be told no, they ask which of these things am I willing to fight for and they tell themselves no to everything else first. They diminish their own ask before they even get into the meeting space. Negotiations that occur at the start of a working relationship are easier for the concept of everyone's coming to the table and for setting the the culture, but they're not the only important ones. How often are you looking for opportunities to change something that bothers you or asking for promotions in scenarios where no new roles have been offered? Are you asking for salary assessments outside of the annual review? Most people are not. Doctors are not. The culture in medicine seems to naturally believe that we as doctors are poor negotiators. We often absorb facets of a doctor identity automatically, whether or not they're true. So if this is the culture that all of these doctors are saying, we are not salespeople, we're not negotiators, we're not entrepreneurs. You adapt those facets of this identity to be yours, even if it's not true. And let me tell you, it is not true. Doctors are an excellent example of negotiators, daily negotiators. We negotiate all day long. I know I do. I'm a pediatrician. So I negotiate with children and parents. So I have two audiences with different wants, different needs, and different expectations. That makes me a master negotiator. Have you ever tried to coax a toddler? They are master negotiators. They know what an absolute deal breaker is for them, and they will say no. They may be willing to concede or comply in exchange for stickers or promises of treats. But there are times when even the promise of the treat or the sticker is not enough and they will still say no. And they're strong. Okay. There's nothing like the vice grip of a toddler. Okay. I know doctors negotiate with patients all day. Speaking up is a muscle. Very specifically, 
speaking up for yourself is a muscle. And so that is why doctors feel like they are bad negotiators because while they are, I hear this all the time, actually, they feel like they're really good at speaking up for others, but not for themselves. They do not yet see how speaking up for themselves directly affects their ability to advocate for others. I want to introduce this new concept to you all, and it's the concept of negotiated order. Negotiated order is essentially the cultural understanding of what is negotiable and what is not. It can differ by country, region, organization, department. At work, we feel comfortable negotiating with patients because it is expected. It is the negotiated order of things. We are willing to have these conversations because we believe we have the same outcome in mind, the health of the patient. So if we want our patients to stay healthy, we encourage them to eat healthy. I know for me personally, I give concessions to that. I will tell them, find the vegetable that you enjoy. I'm not going to say you must eat all your vegetables because people aren't going to do that. We already know that. Or I'll say to a patient who says they hate vegetables because children are often illogical and do not take into account that all vegetables taste differently. They'll say they eat fruit. Okay, I'm okay with that. Fruit is great. If you are eating tons of fruit every day and less vegetables, I'm still okay with that because at the end of the day, the goal is health. That is a negotiation. We're having a conversation about where to give and take. We have the same outcome in mind. If I'm treating eczema, I would prefer that the parents or the patient are greasing themselves up like a butterball on Thanksgiving three to four times a day. Your skin is going to be so moist, so supple. But some people hate the feeling of lotion. They hate the feeling of Vaseline. So I'll say, okay, let's maybe cut it down to morning and night. And if you hate the feeling of Vaseline, use it only at nighttime before bed. That way you're sleeping through most of the discomfort. That's a compromise. That's a way that I've decided. It's not the most optimal, but I'm going to meet you where you are because I need to get you to doing the moisturizing when you weren't doing it at all. And that is a little bit of a meet in the middle technique, but it, it means they still have to do what it is I'm asking them to do if they want that agreed upon result. We know the points. We know the points that we're arguing about. We know the end goal. We know with whom we are negotiating. We know it's appropriate to have these kinds of conversations. That is negotiation order. But it started somewhere with someone before it became widely accepted. At one time in medicine, it was purely paternalistic. Yes, I know there are ways in which medicine is still paternalistic today, but comparatively. Back in the day, it was whatever the doctor said goes. There were times where women's husbands would sign them up for an an admission into the mental hospital and the doctor has control over how long that person stays and when they get to go. The doctor had the ultimate say. That was the order of things. 
at some point, somewhere along the line, patients started negotiating for themselves. They changed the negotiation order. They started advocating and determining that they had the right to make decisions for themselves. They had the right to decide what they wanted to do and not do. They changed the order. Look at nursing. I know we got a lot of feelings about nursing and scope creep, but this is because somewhere along the line, nurses said they could do more than bedside care. They could triage, then they could diagnose, then they could prescribe. They could see patients independently. They have been consistently changing the negotiation order in a way that physicians do not. The first woman who ever asked to be paid while on maternity leave disrupted the negotiation order. The first woman who asked for a breastfeeding space disrupted the negotiation order. I think of the movie Hidden Figures. In it, it's about female scientists, a black, a group of Black women scientists working for NASA. And they were not generally in that space. It was a white male dominated space. If there were women there at all, they were performing secretarial duties or other mid-level supportive roles, et cetera. But we had some brilliant Black women who were breaking into the field, showing their contribution and their value. However, because it was a white male dominated space, there was an absence of bathrooms for women. So that's the first barrier, okay? There's no bathroom. And then the women's room that did exist, albeit still outside of the white male spaces, were for white women. So the bathroom for women of color was really, really far away from from the buildings in which the scientists work out of. This is an example, an excellent example, by the way, of how your identity is multifaceted and contributes to you having a separate negotiation order from someone who only matches maybe one facet of your identity, like someone else who is female, because there were other women in this space that had a bathroom, but they were not also Black. And they were probably Black males in this space, but they were not also women. (laughs) The main character in Hidden Figures has to run all the way across the entire campus to find a bathroom that she can use as a woman of color because there has been so few women and no women of color in her section of the campus. It shows in the movie her spending half the day crossing the campus in all kinds of weather, and you know Black women don't do rain. But it shows really how disruptive it was to her doing her job. It made it look like she was never at her desk, never doing her job. You can imagine what that's going to look like, even if she's the top of her game. If you look like you're never at your desk and never doing your job, and you're the first and only in a space, what is your pathway to promotion? What is your pathway to even retention? She had to request a bathroom that was closer to where she worked. That ask was a disruption of negotiated order. This happens when women joined Congress initially. Having to walk a distance and share paths and bathrooms with the general public. So outside of the protective congressional space, they had to leave that inner sanctum and go and 
find the bathrooms that were designated for the general public who might have been touring the Capitol building. This sounds far away, like, oh, well, women have been in the Senate since whatever year. Women have been in workspaces since whatever year. But this is still happening. And let me tell you how. I recently went to the Beyonce concert at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. This was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. The women's room was at the complete end of the stadium. Like I left my section and I walked past three different sets of men's rooms to find the women's bathroom. The culture in the Superdome is that it's a male dominated space. I presume because it's been used for sporting events, they anticipate the crowd to be predominantly male. They have made all the bathrooms male. And probably someone complained until they turned one of the end restrooms into a woman's restroom. But let me tell you, that joint was far as heck. These are examples of how negotiated order is needed to address visible and invisible barriers that exist in our work environments. Is there something in your job that prevents you from doing your work in the best and most efficient way? The bathroom is just an example, but perhaps there are other things that you could think of that disrupt your workflow. These are the kind of things you want to be looking for and asking about. These are the things that are worthy of disrupting the negotiating order for. When you think about negotiations, I want you to extend and really expand that definition outside of just employment, salary. There are other things worth negotiating for that would really help you focus on getting the best out of your work environment. You're not just there for them. You're also there for you. You have to decide that you both have the same interests, like we do with our patient. With our patients, we decide healthy outcome is in both of our interests. When you're at work, you have to decide that it is in both interests, the hiring party and you or your boss and you to keep you supported so that you can do the best job you can. And you will only be able to do that if you're willing to discuss your other needs. In the Black Doctor Coaching Program, my program framework starts with identifying where you are. What is it you most desire that you're not currently getting? You cannot get a thing if you don't know what that thing is. So we start by identifying that. What is it that you want? What is obstructing you from doing your job well or enjoying your job or forgetting that promotion, recognition, fulfilling feeling that you seek? And is there a potential for you to even obtain those things in your current workplace? That's the next part. What are your beliefs about your life, your progress, your abilities, your value? What do you think about and believe about negotiating? What is your belief about your ability to confidently negotiate? We tackle those beliefs and we tackle the subsequent thoughts that come from those beliefs. We talk about emotion. We talk about 
what feeling are you fighting? Are you fighting feeling greedy? Are you fighting feeling imposter syndrome or inadequacy? Are those things preventing you from taking the action, from acting on your desire? We address those. And then we plan your actions because there's no way you're coming out of this program not having achieved some, if not all, of your planned desires or at least getting onto that road to get those things that you want. This is why I can comfortably guarantee my clients 100% results because once we start shifting beliefs, I've already given you examples of how that directly impacts your results. The skills, the tools you learn, the roadmap that we create are applicable to all areas of real life. Honestly, this coaching is life-changing. When you decide what you want and that you want to customize your job, your life, when you want to design your job to work for you and to get what you really want out of your job experience to really live your life, we can make that happen. I can make that happen with you together. Even if you start off unsure with what you want, I can help you identify that. I can help you identify areas in which you can negotiate. I can help you understand your negotiating order or ways that you need to disrupt that negotiating order. Maybe you hadn't seen potential for negotiation in the past. All you have to do is decide to reach out and ask for help, ask for support. And I know that that is a barrier in and of itself because a lot of us do not like to ask for support. A lot of us think that we can do things with quick advice. We're listening to podcasts, including mine. We're reading all the books. We are trying to ask for advice in the Facebook group. Quick tips. Oh, just tell me what I need to do because we're so used to being on the struggle bus of one. So that when it comes to getting support, we oftentimes don't think we need it. We think everything is figureoutable, which it is, except that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of resources. And like I said, each day that you're doing these things without asking for what you want, especially monetarily, we already showed you, you're losing money every day because you haven't been willing to ask. You're losing Maybe your reputation because something in your work environment is not set to allow you to thrive. What has stopped you from achieving a goal that you want to do up to this point by yourself? What has stopped you from achieving this goal by yourself? If the answer to that is you don't know what you want or you don't know how or you don't know where to start, the what, the how, the where, or if you don't know where to gain support from, you need to give coaching a strong consideration. Remember that as a Black physician, as a female physician, you have the power to shape your career and your life. The art of negotiation is your tool to make the changes you desire. Don't wait for someone else to recognize your worth your value. Take charge. Show them your value and how much that is worth in dollars, in culture, in professional development, whatever it is. If you are ready now to take the reins 
of your career and of your life and to make meaningful change, the Black Doctor Coaching Program is here to support you. So I always say the ways to reach me are sending me a DM on Instagram. It's at the BLK doctor on Instagram or an email to at the BLK doctor at gmail.com. And let's start asking. All right. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars, but also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at The Black Doctor, The Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye. Bye.